Well, I want to welcome all of our campuses. I want to welcome our South Shore Gulf Coast joining us, our online and here at Little Creek to week one of our new series entitled This is Living. Come on, let's just welcome our other campuses as they're joining us right now. You know, we are beginning today a six-part series. We're going to go all the way right up to Easter. Again, we've just finished uh, our six-week series called Restart. Again, I, I hope if you've not been here that you've picked up CDs. Or of course, you go online. Always the best way to get our stuff, to download it. Lots of stories, lots of miracles that took place, the lives of people. But I always love to do two Bible books every year. I like to do one in the spring if possible. And then I'm going to be doing, I'll give you this, I'm going to be doing probably the book of James in the fall. And I love going through Bible books. I love teaching, again, verse by verse and thematically. And, and we're going to look at 1 John. Now, interesting, the Apostle John wrote five books in the New Testament. Number one, he wrote the Gospel of John. Of course, we know the Gospels, right? The first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels, where there's a lot of red stuff in there. A lot of the red words, the words of Jesus, the recording of his life. And his men, the disciples, walk with him. Very, very powerful. Well, John wrote the Gospel of John. He also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to be studying 1st John. It's different than the Gospel of John, all right? It's only five chapters. It's very, 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 very important. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and then he wrote, which we studied for seven weeks uh, last fall here at the church, he wrote the book of what? Say it. Very good. The book of Revelation. Again, we're going to be jumping into 1st John because John walked with Jesus. He knows exactly who Christ was, and he knows what it means to walk daily with Jesus. We're going to be talking about walking with Jesus, getting back to the basics of what it means to be a Christ follower, what it means to live daily walking with Jesus. Speaking about getting back to the basics, one day a housework challenged husband, let that just rest in, a housework cha challenged husband decided to make a change and get back to the basics. And he said, I'm going to wash my own clothes and wash this, wanted to wash his sweatshirt. Honestly, he wasn't the sharpest guy, I said that respectfully, but he walked into the laundry room and he was trying to figure out what settings to put it on. And he shouted to his wife, honey, what setting do I put on this washing machine? To which the wife yelled back, look at what's on your shirt. They'll tell you. He kind of looked down and says, it says roll tide, honey. That's all I know. Now that's for Alabama. If you're an Alabama fan, we love you because we have to. But we don't like him. Matter of fact, one of my friends at our church is a big, avid Alabama fan. I mean, big time. And he wears like Alabama shirts. And so we ask the ushers routinely to remove him. And so he just, I'm sorry. And I just, you know, I just, man, he just does that just to get us. But anyway, so. All scholars would agree that John, 1 John, was written by the Apostle John. Now, question, who did he write it to? Who, who did John write this book to? Well, you, got, you guys remember this, this fall when I talked about Revelation? I talked about the seven churches of Asia Minor. Again, modern-day Turkey, that's where those churches are. <clears throat> it's interesting. If Smyrna, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Do, do you all remember those? One of the churches was Ephesus. At one point in John's ministry, he was actually the, the, the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And John had a tremendous affinity for those seven churches. That's who John wrote those to. Well, well why did he write it? When did he? Well, I'll tell you when he wrote it first. It was towards the end of the first century. See, Jesus, again, crucified 33 AD. 
John would have been in his 20s during the time of Jesus in his 30s, and so John was probably born around 10 AD or so, uh, about 10 years after the birth of Christ. So towards the end of the first century when this was written, John was probably between 80 and 90 years old. Jesus had been crucified uh, 60 years prior to the writing of this. And John was writing to these seven churches. Let me tell you why. He was concerned. He was concerned because there was some false teaching that came into those seven churches. And those, some false teachers were trying to cause in the hearts of those young believers a lack of assurance of their salvation. For instance, they were concerned. Man, what if I sin? Do I lose my, but do I, am I still a Christian? If I die, you know, do I go to heaven? I mean, how do I deal with this whole sin? And some, some false teachers had come in. Listen to what they were saying. Really interesting. Listen, if you're a Christian, it doesn't matter how you live your lifestyle at all. Boy, isn't that interesting? That's exactly what John was dealing with. John, here's another one John was dealing with. This is a heresy. Jesus was a good man, but he wasn't the son of God. How many of these things just keep recycling themselves? And that's exactly what John was dealing with. John was dealing with, no, 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 no. He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. That's called the hypostatic union theologically. Well, he was dealing with this. He was dealing with this, that, talking about the themes of, of salvation and grace. There was a teaching that was going through these seven churches that said, if you, you get grace when you sin, so why don't you sin more so you can get a lot more grace? Sounds like a youth group. But anyway, so not our youth group, by the way. Not, I just want to qualify that. So John was dealing with all this. Maybe you've had some of those questions. Maybe you've lacked assurance of your salvation. In fact, this is a counsel, as, a, as a pastor, I've counseled lots of people. They're not sure about their salvation. They get to that point of death, particularly you get to a point, whether through sickness or through old age. And Pastor, can I know that I know that I know? I mean, how do I know this Bible's real? And how do I know this whole thing? Listen, I believe that we can have by the Holy Spirit an inner witness, all right? Bible talks about this, that we can know in our knower that when we die, we go spend eternity with Jesus. I think we can know that. John teaches that. You say, Pastor, why John? I'll tell you why, John. Because John was one of the very, listen, one of the very few, even the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, did not walk with Jesus on the earth when Jesus lived. That's why John was, listen, he has such tremendous authority to teach this book. If there's anybody that can teach us how to live the Christian life, John. All right, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to be going through 1 John. It's five chapters long. It's going to be a six-week series. Again, I'm going to go all the way right up to Easter. And I'm going to encourage everybody to think about right now who they can invite uh, to Easter. We'll have Saturday, Friday night services, Saturday, on Sunday. We, we, we're, going to, we're going to have thousands of people. We're going to really study this book. Now, I'll go both verse by verse in some, but then I'm really going to get into themes. If I really did an expositional verse by verse study, it would take us a year to go through 1 John, but I'm going to cover a lot of ground. If you don't have a Bible, again, you can take notes. I know a lot of people look on their phone, but I want us to dig into the Word of God, all right? Whether you have one of these physically or whether you're using your phone, we're going to be studying the Scripture. John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to jump right into it today. I want to talk to you today about the forgiven life. Six themes that we're going to cover. Number one, this week, the forgiven life. Next week, the clean life. Can we really live clean as a Christian? Week three is going to be really cool, the anointed life. 1 John 2.20 says this. This is in 1 John. It says, you have an 
anointing from the Holy One. What does it mean that we have an anointing? What is the anointing? Well, I'm going to be teaching about right out of 1 John. Week 4, listen, week 4, I'm going to talk to you about how to live a discerning life. John, 1 John 4, 1 says, Beloved, test the spirits. What does that mean? Well, I believe that John's saying, don't believe everything on the internet. <laughs> Literally, that we have to be discerning Christians. Are you with me? We need to know what the Bible teaches. We need to have discernment. Week five, I'm going to talk about a loving life. And then the final week, I'm going to talk about how we can be confident in God. Listen, there is a difference between godly confidence and arrogance. God has not called us to be beat down where we're just, we're not leaders in society. and We're just all moving to Montana, waiting for the rapture. And we're all just kind of hiding out. No, God has called us to be humble, confident men and women and impact players in every sphere of society. I'm going to show you week six that God has called you to be a confident Christian. You don't want to miss that message. All right. Today, I want to talk to you about being a forgiven person. John, 1 John, again, not the gospel of John, but a letter that John wrote. 1 John chapter 1, verse 1. John says this. He's, here's what I like to say. He's setting the stage and he's setting the record straight. Remember what he's battling. He's battling false teachers that have come into these seven churches seeking to suggest some things that are not biblical. And he's laying a plumb line. He's laying down uh, the gavel and saying, let me tell you what the truth is. Here's what he says. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Here's what John says. Let me just tell you something, guys. These people that have come in trying to teach you guys that Jesus is not the Son of God, that you can live any way you want as a Christian, it's really not that big of a deal. Let me just, let me, let me just clarify something. I walked with Jesus. I lived with Jesus. For three and a half years, we, 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 we were all sleeping and hanging out in little places, and we would eat together. I saw him do the miracles. I was on the Mount, listen, I was on the Mount of Transfiguration with him. I saw his face glowing. I was on the, sea, the, the seashore of Galilee. Matter of fact, I was in the boat when he was walking. We thought it was a ghost. I was right there. I was on the Mount of Beatitudes when he multiplied the loaves and the fishes. It was amazing. I was there. I heard his teaching. I was at the crucifixion. When Jesus looked down, I was standing right by his mom. And Jesus says, behold, mama, behold your son. Son, behold your mom. I was, I was there. That was me. I was the first one to the tomb of the disciples after the resurrection. And yeah, let me tell you, I was there at the ascension. I was right on the Mount of Olives. Yeah, when he was ascended to the Father. So let me just say this, and I say this respectfully. I say this humbly. John is speaking. He says, I've handled the word of life, Christ himself. I've heard. I've seen. I am uniquely qualified to address these issues. Verse 2, he says this. The life was manifested, that's Jesus. And we have seen and we bear witness and we declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that's Christ. That which we've seen and heard and declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Interestingly enough, if you look in 1 John, the word fellowship, is, is written four times. It's an interesting word because it, it, it's, it's the Greek word koinonia, and it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of connection. 
It's a deep, deep term that describes not just, hey man, we're friends, you know, casual acquaintances, but it's deeply committed. Here's what John says, and we're gonna see it throughout 1 John. He says, you can have, back to an assurance, you can have intimate koinonia with God, but when you have intimate connection with God, guess what? You also can now have intimate connection with others. You know what's interesting? When I gave my heart to Christ in 1987, I had some best friends in the world and they were good guys, and we were, we'd cut up together. But it was really interesting. After I gave my heart to Christ, I lost some things in common with them. I didn't want to do some of the same things that they did. I didn't want to go to some of the same places they went. I didn't want to talk like they talk. And what I had to realize now, I, I, they were still friends, but they changed positions, and now they were not koinonia with me. They were outreach for me. But I wanted to lead them to Christ. I wanted to love them into the kingdom of God. But I wasn't looking to them to meet my spiritual and emotional needs anymore. Now I was looking to brothers in Christ and, and sisters that, that we, we, listen, listen, we were drinking from another faucet. How many know what I'm talking about? John says, you, listen, your fellowship, when you have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, you have fellowship, spiritual fellowship with one another. I just want to do one last plug here. That's why we're so big with small groups at Church of the King. Small groups are so huge. So why are you all in the small groups? Because we're in the fellowship. Again, I love Sundays weekend, and you need to be in church these next six weeks. I'm telling you, you need to be in church. There's no Mardi Gras parades. There's no Saints games. There's no whatever and festivals and whatever. It's called Jesus Church Grow in Christ Open Your Bible. Come on, are y'all with me? Six weeks. Six weeks. So you, there's no excuse. You need, but, but let me tell you what else is important is being in small group. You know why? Because life is hard. It's not easy. We get discouraged. I know I do. And we go through things in and, and relationships and children and job and fighting sicknesses and, and, and all these different things. That's why it's so important for you to have a group around you, a small group. We just had 700 small groups and 7,000 people in small groups. There is a group for you. If your group's not continuing, by the way, after restart, there's lots of groups. There's hundreds and hundreds of groups you can get in. You can go at all of our uh, commons areas and the foyer areas. You can sign up today. Somebody say, well, pastor, what if I go to a group and I don't like it? You can go to another one. What if I go to another one? I don't like it. You can go to another one. What if I go to a third one? I don't like it. You got problems. <laughs> There's only one common denominator in this whole thing. It's called you. But anyway, that's a, that's a whole nother topic. <laughs> so... So in our study in 1 John, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see that fellowship with God, watch this, and with one another comes through forgiveness, walking in the light, and properly dealing with our sins. So here's what John says. I am uniquely qualified to say what I'm about to say. You guys ready? Here it is. 1 John 1, 5. He switches gears. He's no longer defending and presenting a platform whereby he thinks he has authority to speak. He's now going to begin to speak. Here's what he says. 1 John 1, 5. This is the message. Here it is. I want to clarify. Got all these false teachers coming into these churches. Guys, listen to what I'm about to say. That's what John's saying. This is the message. This is it. This is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you. Here it is. That God is, say it with me, light. Now that theme is going to be running all through 1 John. The light of God, the life of God, are you with me? Light, love, and light of God. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. There were believers that were saying, man, we, yeah, you can just sign up and say, man, I'm a Christian, but, but yet still live in darkness. 
And and I'm talking about just an occasional sin. I'm talking about somebody that just lives in habitual sin. And and the problem is, is that this theme of light and darkness, it's all through the Bible that when, when, listen, when you get saved, the lights come on. You guys have heard my testimony. I've said it so many times, but, and I'm not trying to be hokey or corny or whatever. And last week, by the way, I was speaking in Washington, D.C. I wasn't riding on a Mardi Gras float. Some people, where's pastor? He's on a float. No, I was in Washington, D.C. preaching. <laughs> and, and I was talking about my testimony. And here's what I said. It sounds a little corny, but it's true. I said, when I gave my heart to Christ, October 26, 1987, literally the grass was greener The sky was like bluer the next day, and I felt this weight come off of my life. Now, now, listen to me. Listen to me. All of a sudden, it's like my eyes were open and I could see because I was now walking in the, say it with me, light. You know, some people say Christianity is a step into the darkness. I think it's just the opposite. I think it's a step into the light. We're not leaping into the darkness. Are, Are you with me? So, so when, when you, when you, when you, when you walk into the light, all of a sudden you can see. You can see your motives. You can see sin. You can see all these different things, self-interest, all these different things that are competing in our hearts. By the way, do you you know what the real challenge for the believer comes after they give their hearts to Christ as they walk in the light? We We become acutely aware of our motives and our will versus God's will. And, and I remember in college, I, I, I now had, I, I now had, I had this potentiality now because my will had been freed up by Christ where I now could choose to do right. I now have the power to choose to follow because I was living in the light. My, my will had been quickened by the Holy Spirit. Now here's what's interesting. All right. And now I had a daily choose. And that's why Jesus said to pray this way. I had a daily choose God, not my will, but let your will be done. Isn't that right? Because I could see now. I was living in the what? Say it, the light. Are you living in the light? Has your life been illuminated? When you live in the light, things, well, you can, you can, you can see. But what's the problem, Pastor? Why is it that, we, that we're living in the light as believers? By the way, 1 John, the whole book is written to believers. So he's talking to believers. And this is so important. He's not talking to people that don't know Christ. He's not talking to people uh, that are secular. He's talking to Christ followers. Let me tell you, the problem for the Christian, the problem for myself, after I gave my heart to Christ, it's the challenge that we still have today. It's the challenge of sin. Sin's a real deal. It's a real reality. I know a lot of Christians get discouraged after they become believers. They think, man, I thought sin was going to be done away with. Well, we still live in a fallen world. We don't have to live as slaves to habitual sin, but we still have flesh, and we still deal with the, 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 the shrapnel of sin and the pull of sin. And t- we still deal with that. By the way, I, I want to just define what sin is. Sin is any, watch this, it's any action, any deed, any persistent thought that's contrary to the commands of God. Let me break down sin for you because this will help you a little bit. And by the way, I put this in your notes. So you, you, you may want to write this down. Sin is threefold. Number one, there are sins of commission. All right, commission. This is in your notes. And those are things that we do. Those are actions that we commit. And by the way, a sin of commission, for instance, so, so we have the Ten Commandments, right? We, we have a revealed word of God. God says, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't lie. All right, don't steal, don't you? Okay, so, so a sin of commission is when we directly violate God's revealed word. Does that make sense? That, that's a sin of commission. Secondly, we also have what's called, and we commit sins of omission. 
Well, what is a sin of omission? Here's what a sin of omission. It's sins of, it's sins of, it's when we know to do the right thing and we don't do it. Sins of what we don't do. So commission is things that we do. Omission is, is, it's when we know to do the right thing and we hesitate because of the fear of man. It's when we know to do the right thing, but we're scared of what people may think about us, so we, so, so we, we, we recoil. James says it this way. This is so powerful. James 4 says, therefore, this is a called a sin of what? Say it. Omission. Commission is an action. Omission is, a, is an inactivity. It's where we're hesitant to do the right thing. He says, therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is called what? Say it. Sin. Now, there's a third type of sin. And by the way, sins of commission are easy to see. Sins of omission are a little bit more difficult. But the most difficult of all is what's called sins of disposition or sins of the attitude. It's, it's more the spirit in which we say things. It's the spirit in which we do things. It's the attitudinal problems where, where, where it's like raising kids. You know, they're, 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 they're sitting down on the outside, but they're standing up on the inside. And you know, there's a lot of that in our lives where we may be sitting down on the outside, but yet we're standing up on the inside going, God, are you with me? That's a sin of disposition. It's, it's something that we have to deal with. It's an attitude. I'll never forget um, when our church was planted in 1999, I was asked. By the way, I was asked to come across the lake. I was a, a youth evangelist based out of a church in Metairie, and my pastor, there was a small group of people, actually are still one of our board members, uh, our founding board member, Dr. Greg Mule, went and approached my pastor and asked if, if, if he could find somebody to pastor a church, want to start a church, and they wanted to start a church. There were 19 people. And so I finally, after about six months, they started talking to me in the spring, and the later part of the fall, I said yes. And uh, so we, we, we went for it, my wife and I, and I had two children at the time, I have four now, and it's interesting, we didn't, have, we didn't do demographics and market studies and strategy. God just showed up, people were getting saved, all kinds of things were just happening all over the place. It was amazing, honestly amazing. The church grew in the first six years to the weekend before Katrina to 3,245 people in the building on the weekend. And then we had Hurricane Katrina and things changed. Well, what's interesting is before that, you know, I'm, this, I'm 31, 30, 31, 32, 30, and this this exploding church. What I realized was my self-worth was attached to that after the fact. Uh, man, things are really happening. Wow, man. Well, well uh, truth is I was speaking at places and have an opportunity to talk about, well, this is what you do and all that. Like, it was all God, but I was, you know, I don't know, I'm just out there and and that's what you do, right? When things are happening really good. Some of you in business world and, and you have an entrepreneurial endeavor that's explosive. People, what is, what's going on? What do you do? Well, then Katrina comes. We don't have church for a month and we have 1,350 people. Took us two years to get back to where we were in 2005. Took us two years. I'd go to these same conferences and different things that I would speak at before and now. Nobody's really caring about what I have to say. Fact is, we didn't have the fastest growing church. We had the fastest depleting church in America. Are you with me? And I remember sitting there and listening to speakers, and I remember in my heart, I'll be honest, I, I, was, I was disappointed, and I was really angry with God. I was angry with God because I felt like, God, why is it that I'm in a situation, all these other guys have this le level playing field, and by the way, there's no guarantee it won't happen again. Are you with me? It's not like a one-time endeavor. I mean, this could happen again. And, and so here it is, and this is the call of God. Well, not only that, but I, I'll be honest, I was, I was jealous of some of my friends. 
I thought, man, they've got environments and it's stable. We're in this fragile environment. And, and I'll never forget 2007, I was in prayer one day and the Holy Spirit, watch this, he put his finger on my heart and he says, that attitude is sin. See, we look at adultery, ah, that's sin. That's an act, that's a commissionary, it's, a, it's an act. But yet we all often hide these other things and we don't compare. Well, the Holy Spirit says it's sin. So, man, at that moment, I had to make a decision. And all of us have to make a decision. When the Holy Spirit convinces us and convicts us or we see something in the Word of God, we've got to make a decision. Are we going to repent or not? So in the remainder of my time, I've got about 15 minutes, I want to talk to you about our relationship with sin and forgiveness. It's right out of 1 John. I'm just going to deal with this because I do believe that all of us sin as saints. We, 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 we mess up. We blow it. And what, how do we respond to that? Well, there's three ways that I see here right in 1 John chapter 1. Three ways that we all respond. Number one, here's the first way that we can respond. After we sin, <clears throat> we can try to cover our sins. We should try to cover it. And by the way, we can come very sophisticated in our cover-ups. Isn't that right? I mean, man, we can just cover up and we can do things and... Big time, 1 John 1, 5. The problem is God is light. Now remember who he's talking to. He's talking to a first century group of believers, all right, and it applies to us today, that are saying that you can be a Christian and live any way you want. Boy, doesn't that sound just like a lot of teaching today. You do anything you want. The problem is the Bible says God is light and in him there is no what? Say it, there is no darkness, and that's commissionary sins, omissionary sins, and dispositional sins. There's no darkness in God. Wow. There's a theme all throughout the Bible where God calls us out of darkness. First Peter, he's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Thessalonians 5, 5, Paul says, you were once darkness, but now you are in the light. Live in the light. And, and John was saying, there's no gray area in this thing, that when you sin, confess your sin, first admit your sin, and then confess it to God, and at times confess it to those, that, if you can, to those that you've sinned against. And I'm going to talk about what's the context in just a moment, but, but, it's, but it's owning up. It's owning up to that we've blown it. The problem is, is that sin is deceptive, and, 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 and here's the deal. The problem with sin is it causes us to deceive first people, but then ourselves. The greatest example, in my opinion, in the whole Bible of somebody that sinned and deceived themselves is King David. King David, man, I'm talking about somebody that really deceived himself. You know, the man after God's own heart, King David? One day he's walking on his, on, 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 on his porch out there, and he looks down and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba. And he calls her unto himself. He was an ego, he had a little ego issue there, right? And he felt, he, he felt a little entitled, even though that wasn't his wife. Hey, man, I'm the king right? So he brings this beautiful woman into his palace, and, and he lays with her. Then she, she gets pregnant. Wow. Now he's thinking, my gosh, what am I going to do? I got this woman. She's pregnant. and her, her husband was one of the top generals. Man, what am I going to do now? I mean, this guy's out there. Ah, got an idea. He talks to his right-hand buddy. Look, let's make sure that he's in some tough stuff out there so that he's killed. Boy, that's really Christian. Let's get this husband wiped out and let's just deal with it. Now remember, instead of owning his deal, right? He didn't own it. He tried to cover it up. The guy, they couldn't kill him. They bring him back. His name's Uriah. He says, look, I'll tell you what, get him drunk. And then we'll try to put him out on the front line again. Well, finally they did that and he was killed. So he then brought Bathsheba unto himself and brought her into his palace. And so now we've dealt with that problem, right? 
Until one day, this prophet comes to him, and he gives him this hypothetical. And the hypothetical is, it was a hypothetical all about a protagonist, this big, large figure, and he was taking advantage of this individual. And David said, that's terrible. That's terrible. To which Nathan responds, thou art the man I'm talking about. Wow. It's interesting. David, somebody that had a relationship with God, but apparently had no conviction of his sin. He just thought he could do whatever he wanted. I think that's all of us where we get to a place we have to be careful where we don't think, that, hey, man, hey, after all, that's who John's dealing with. The problem with lying is you start lying to people, but then you start believing your own lies. Now, I am a hunter. I've hunted for years, and people that don't like that left our church a long time ago, and I say that respectfully. <laughs> I'm not stopping. It's in the Bible. Don't make me prove it. It's like drinking coffee. Go deal with your own sin. But anyway, so, so, so I, I, listen, to the, listen, to, listen to this, power, the power of deception. I was 12 years old. I've always hunted since so a little boy, and I was going out. I was with a buddy of mine. Matter of fact, his dad, Mr. Don, goes to our church today. He's in his 70s. And my best friend growing up, we were hunting at this farm. And we walked out, and I had a shotgun. I had buckshot. And he was going to, I was going to one food plot, and he was going to another. We're talking about covering our sin. And watch, watch how this works. And I remember walking out there that one day, and I saw two deer, but they were does. They were like fawns, all right, real small. And I remember shooting at them. I thought I may have hit one, and they ran off, right? But when I came back, my buddy Kirk goes, Steve, how'd you do, man? Did you see anything? And I said, as a matter of fact, I did. I shot at a six-point. It's terrible, isn't it? I'm your pastor. But anyway, so, <laughs> so I just have the privilege of confessing in front of y'all every week. But anyway, so... But listen to this. Watch this. So I'm 12 years old. He goes, oh, man, watch, how, watch what happens. Later that morning at about 10 o'clock, we were driving out, and a farmer from another uh, ranch next door, this is, this is a trip, what I'm about to tell you. He drives up, and he says, well, how are you doing? You know, small talk after hunting. You know, he have the little small talk. And the guy says to me, watch this. The guy says to our car, he goes, how'd y'all do? He goes, well, we didn't get anything. And Steve, you know, shot at something. And and the guy says, well, we shot a couple of deer. He goes, we shot, we shot a, a nice buck. We shot a six-point. It seemed like it had been wounded or something. Listen, to which I said, I shot that deer, which was a complete lie. That's not true. It was like a fluke deal. Are y'all with me? I said, I did. I, that's, my, that's mine. But y'all can, can have it, but that's mine. <laughs> now watch this. I said that story from 12 until 22 years old. I was a Christian for three years. I had convinced myself that I shot that six point. I remember forget one, one day in prayer, I, just, I was just praying, reading my Bible, and it was like the light went on. It was like, that's a lie. That's not true. See, you can tell yourself a lie so long, you'll actually believe it. Are y'all with me? This is so critical, and that's why that we have to understand, that's why we need to confess. And let me just tell you something. That's I love Abraham Lincoln, our 16th president. He says, if a man is going to be a liar, he better have a good memory. <laughs> How did I tell that person? Okay, yeah, what, what did I tell this person? Proverbs 28, 13 says this. He who covers his sins will not what? Say it. Prosper. Man, I want to prosper spirit, soul, and body, my life, my job, professionally, personally. 
Well, if you cover your sin, the Bible says you want. By the way, sin affects you. Don't miss this. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physiologically. You ought to read Psalms 38. David talks about his very bones being affected because of his sin. Are you with me? That's why we want to get it out. We, we don't want all this stuff in our, in our lives. He says, but whoever confesses them and forsakes them will have mercy. So number one, the first thing we can do with our sin is we can watch this. We can try to cover it. Second thing that we can do, which is the right thing, is that we can confess it. We can confess it. 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us, there it is, of all sin. But here's the caveat. It's called a conditional promise. If we confess our sins, matter of fact, why don't we just say this, uh, all, verse 9. Let's, let's read this together. Can we do that? One, two, three. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One of the things I've realized as I've grown with Christ is I want to be a quick confessor. The degree that you, and by the way, the Holy Spirit will point it out. The Holy Spirit will point it out in our lives and the Spirit of God's on the inside of us and I want to acknowledge my sin because I don't want to do anything. Don't miss this. I don't want to do anything to break fellowship with God and with other people because when you sin, listen, it affects, it's, it's a multidimensional overflow. It's multidimensional what happens here. All right, I want to ask a question because there's different teaching that John was dealing with, which is very similar today. Here's one of the questions that people ask. Well, pastor, if I've confessed my sin and Christ has forgiven me and all of my sins are forgiven by Christ, why do I need to confess my sin still? You ever heard that before? Maybe you've asked that. By the way, there's a teaching in the body of Christ right now that says that when you're a Christian, you never confess your sins. The problem is that 1 John 1, 9 was written to Christians. James 5, confess your sins one to another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. Well, do I confess my sin after? Don't miss this. I got just about five minutes. I need everybody to tune in. Do I confess my sin after I'm a Christian or not? Watch this. The answer is yes and no. It depends upon what sin you're talking about. See, every single one of us were born into this world with a fallen nature. We were, born in, we were born into this world with a bentness away from God to do our own thing. The sin, the sin, singular, of rejecting Christ. We were self-sufficient. We were self-serving. We were self-pleasing. We were, we were, it was all of us. And then we, we came to Christ. We, the light went on. And the sin singular of rejecting Christ, we've come to Christ and we repent of our sin, not sins first, not behavior first, but the sin of living independent from God. When we confess that sin and we surrender our heart to Christ, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and we become born again. And the sin of rejecting Christ is washed. Now we become a son or a daughter of God. We become part of God's family and that sin we never confess again. It's called justification. I'm gonna talk about that a little bit next week. So when Christ died on the cross, he dealt with the penalty of our sin. But guess what was not dealt with? The presence of sin still in our lives after we become a Christian. In other words, we still need to confess those. That's why John says, if we confess our sins, plural. Why? Because we still have attitudes. 
We still mess up sometimes. Well, I know I do. We still say things that we shouldn't say to our spouse, or our kids, or other people. Are y'all with me? And those sins, listen, those sins were in a position where, see, here's the deal. When I sin, I often sin against God and I'll sin against another person. That's why 1 John says the blood of Christ, it cleanses us because what? We don't want to mess up our relationship with God and we don't want to mess up our relationship with people. That's why Jesus said this. The Lord's Prayer, it's actually the disciples' prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, it's actually the disciples. Jesus teaches to pray. All right, when you pray, pray this way. He's talking to his disciples. Pretty holy dudes. When you pray, pray this way. I'm answering the question, do we confess our sins after we become a Christian? We never confess the sin of rejecting Christ because we've been forgiven of that. We now belong to Christ. But sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of disposition, when, we con when we're convicted by the Holy Spirit and when God deals with us, Jesus said, pray this way, forgive us our what? Say it, our sins. Father, forgive me. I had an attitude with my spouse. I'm so sorry. God, forgive me. I wasn't completely honest. That God, forgive me. Are you with me? By the way, if you've sinned against somebody else, the Bible says the moment that you know it, try to get to them and to, to ask for forgiveness as well. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive everyone who's indebted to us. So the answer to the question is we are judiciously forgiven when we come to Christ, but we are relationally forgiven when we're convicted of our sin and we ask God to forgive us after we've come to Christ. Now, let me give you the analogy. I got one more point and I'll close. I am married. I've been married 21 years. And there's times when I disappoint my wife. There's times I say things I shouldn't say and I'm getting better, right? You know the slogan? I'm not where I want to be, but I'm not where I used to be. Well, that applies to everything in life. By the way, that ought to be our relationship with God. So I'm married to Jennifer. I have a marriage certificate. I, we belong to one another. I, I, I have the certificate, all right? But if I sin against her, I'm answering the question as a believer about confessing our sins, plural. Not the sin, but sins. Behavioral, commission, omission, dispositional. Y'all with me? Thank you for two people. Praise God. <laughs> there's no Saints game. There's no Pelican games. There's no Mardi Gras parade. Who cares about your ladders? There's nowhere else to go. You're back. Okay, so listen to the message. God bless you. Anyway, so here we go. That was a sin. All right. <laughs> what was I saying? Dang it. I'm getting marriage license. Thank you. Oh, honey, that's important to me. I'm, I forgot. No, really, it's important. Okay. So if I'm married and I sin against my spouse, thought, word, or deed, I don't lose a relationship with her. I lose intimacy with her. And if I don't ask for forgiveness, guess what? I can sleep on the couch with that marriage certificate. But it's cold. Come on, y'all with me? I had a guy said, I'm not apologizing. I said, you go on with your bad self. <laughs> After 30 days, you'll humble yourself. But anyway, watch this. I'm not losing my relationship with her. I'm losing my intimacy with her. But when I confess, are you with me? There's revival in the house. Can I have a witness? <laughs> Come on now. See, 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 don't, don't miss this. When we sin, I'm not losing a relationship with God. I'm losing intimacy with God. By the way, God didn't move. We did. So when I confess it, God, I'm sorry. See, that attitude in my heart of jealousy, of envy, of anger, that, that, you know what it was doing? 
all that was doing was pushing me away from God. Does that? But the moment that I confessed and I owned it, I felt, I felt, the, I felt. Wasn't, God didn't say, you're no longer my son. But I was losing intimacy with God. So what is my point? You need to confess your sin. We need to confess it. Who do we confess it to? Whoever the Holy Spirit says. Always to God. But find a trusted friend. Find somebody. But listen to me. Listen to me. You got to get it out. As David talked about when he had a sin inside of him, his bones grew brittle. You with me? I've talked to people that, that did something when they were kids. They never told anybody about it. I'm telling you, you talk about break you down spiritually, physiologically, emotionally. Find a trusted friend and get it out. Let me give you the last and final thing. Number three, we can conquer our sins. We can conquer our sins. We can cover them. We can confess them. We can conquer them. Look what it says right here. First John 2. My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. Pastor, this is confusing. Are we going to sin or are we not? What this means is, as a believer, you do not have to live enslaved to habitual sin. I'm going to teach you next week how you can live forgiven, but I'm going to teach you about how to live with a righteousness consciousness, that you are right before God, and the power of that knowing who you are in God, the power of that. I'm going to go through chapter two. I'm telling you that we can be overcomers in the kingdom of God. How many of y'all are grateful for that? Y'all grateful for that? All right, let me pray for you guys.